From Me to Japan, I'm Frank Ling, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way it affects our daily lives. Coming up to today's show, Professor Kenneth Wright will join us to talk about sleep and weight gain. We'll be back in a few moments, so stay right there. Welcome back to the program. Well, Americans are known to be in excess of doing many things, overeating, over drinking, but one thing that they're not in excess of doing is sleeping. Well, joining us today is our special guest,、uh, Professor Kenneth Wright, who will tell us a little bit about the relationship between sleeping and weight gain. Professor Wright is from the Department of Integrative Physiology from the University of Colorado. He's a leading expert on sleep and developing treatments for insufficient sleep or circadian misalignment.、Uh, Professor White, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. To begin our discussion today, could you give us a little background about the role of sleep and our metabolism? Sure.、Uh, let me start off by saying that、uh, we've known、uh, for some time now that、uh, when people don't obtain sufficient sleep, That this is,、uh, has a number of、uh, health consequences. And gaining weight and being obese and having diabetes are some of those consequences that are associated、uh, in these very, very large studies that have been done uh, with uh, people who obtain less than six or five hours per night. And what we're beginning to understand is that sleep plays a fundamental role in influencing a lot of systems in our body. That are important for our health and well being. So, and so, for our study, <clears throat> what we wanted to do is to better understand why does sleep loss or insufficient sleep schedules have these health consequences. And so, we brought people into the laboratory to study them very carefully so we can actually look at what happens to both our physiology as well as our behaviors that might contribute to the risk of things like gaining weight. Okay, and when you say regular sleep,、uh, what, what is the Expect e d amount of time that people should sleep each night? Well, according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the National Sleep Foundation and sleep scientists around the world, we think that the majority of individuals need between seven and nine hours of time in bed per night in order to obtain a sufficient amount of sleep. There's going to be some people who can get by on less, and there's others who need more than that. But when we actually look at what people are getting,、uh, for example, in the United States now, We see that on average,、uh, people are getting less than 6.3 hours per night, which is certainly less than what we think the majority of individuals need. Okay, and in the paper、uh, that just came out in the Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences, you and your colleagues had come to the conclusion that、uh, those who slept less than five hours、uh, ended up gaining weight. Could you explain how this experiment was? Carried out and perhaps the physiology or、uh, science behind it? So, in our particular study, we actually were studying 
people who are healthy and people who normally would obtain adequate sleep. And then what we did is brought them into the laboratory and we studied them at their normal sleep conditions where we gave them a sufficient opportunity to sleep. And then these individuals uh, were studied over the next two weeks in the lab looking at what would happen if we, these same people then obtained either, as you said, five hours of sleep opportunity per night for a simulated work week. And then uh, they were also studied under five hours, or excuse me, nine hours time in bed per night for also for a five-day simulated work week. So each person was studied under conditions where they were getting enough sleep and under conditions where they were obtaining insufficiency. And then we were able to study a number of things that contribute to weight gain and weight maintenance. And in particular, we were looking at how does the body utilize energy and how much energy does the body need per day. And then we also looked at another part that's important for weight gain and weight maintenance, and that is uh, how much food they actually eat. And so what we found is that when these individuals weren't obtaining enough sleep, their body actually needed more energy to stay awake. But when they were given the opportunity to eat as much as they wanted, like we have food freely available here in today's society, we saw that they actually ate much more than they needed, and that's what led to the weight gain. So in the study, uh, you'd also noted that the hormones, uh, leptin and ghrelin, increased, and those signaled uh, greater hunger. Is that right? Well, in, in prior research, it's been shown that when people don't have the opportunity to sleep enough and, and their food is restricted to what they normally need, then hormones like ghrelin and leptin do change in such a way where they tell the brain that you need more food. So basically, it increases your appetite, increases your hunger. But in our study, where people were able to eat as much as they wanted when they weren't getting enough sleep, these hormones actually changed in a way that reduced appetite, and people told us they were less hungry. So even though they were not hungry, they continued to overeat under conditions where they weren't getting enough sleep. So there has to be something else besides these types of hormones that are causing people to eat more. And we think that there's something else in the brain that's changing. And one of the things that we found that changes is that when people don't get enough sleep, it changes the timing of their internal circadian clock. And this clock system it tells us when we should be sleeping, when we should be awake and being active and eating. And we think that changes in the timing of the clock when we don't get enough sleep contributes to changes in eating patterns. And, for example, in our study, we found that when people were not getting enough sleep, they tended to overeat, especially at night after dinner. Matter of fact, they eat 42% more after dinner than they would if they were getting sleep. And we think that's an important contributor to the weight gain that we saw. Okay, so what what is the uh, uh, general understanding in terms of you know eating after dinner or uh, before you sleep in the evening? Is it does it have an effect on your overall uh, weight? Well, if we look at other studies that have been done, uh, there are associations to when people eat smaller breakfasts or skip breakfast or eat more at night, this is associated with an increased uh, weight gain or weight status. And so we're beginning to understand more and more now. There's more and more evidence coming out from scientific research to suggest that, yes, eating at night may not be the best thing for us to maintain our weight. Okay, so that midnight snack may not be so good for you. Yeah, it's probably better to get a little extra sleep than taking that midnight snack, exactly. Okay. 
I'm just curious, how, how did you become interested in this field, and uh, uh, where did your research start from? Uh, my research started when I was a college student, uh, and I was a, a junior in college and got involved uh, with uh, sleep research back then, and uh, fell in love with the topic because it, sleep has something that we know very, very little about. We're learning more and more. And we're just really understanding now how important it is for our health and well-being and and our safety. So it's just an exciting area of research uh, for us. Of, of course, college students and researchers like you and me uh, are, are notorious for uh, staying up all night to uh, to finish projects and write various proposals. Uh, what what do you have to say to the research uh, community who who often are deprived of sleep? Well, I think everyone needs to think about sleep as a priority. Uh, you know, when we're thinking about our health and our well-being, we've got to think about good physical activity, good nutrition, and, and importantly, good sleep. And for myself here, I, I can tell you that uh, I do get uh, around seven and a half to eight hours a night. So I, I, I follow what I preach. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. And uh, in you mentioned in general the American sleep less than six hours a day. Is that correct? Uh, the, the latest uh, reports out there are around 6.3 hours is the average. And so that means that 50% of us are, or more, depending on which studies you look at, are obtaining less than that amount. So less right. than 6.3. <laughs> six hours and 20 minutes. Uh, and when you say sleep, does that mean like just the fact that you're uh, not awake? Or does that include a certain amount of uh, the REM cycle or, you know, other stages of the brain? Well, when people report to us how much they sleep, they actually tell us essentially how much time they're in bed and maybe not the actual amount of sleep they're getting. And so when we do these types of research studies, we want to monitor their actual sleep with a variety of techniques. So not only can we say, okay, they spent this much time in bed, but they actually spent this much time in light sleep or their deep sleep, or their REM sleep. Because other studies have shown that if you disturb, for example, your deep sleep, this can also lead to negative health consequences, such as risk of changes in how your body utilizes your blood sugar, which may increase your risk for diabetes, for example. And what about napping? Does that make up for some of the sleep if you have less in the evening? So napping is, can be very, very good. And so if you can obtain the amount of sleep that you need in 24 hours by taking, let's say, six and a half hour at night and then supplementing them that with another hour to an hour and a half during the day, then you can still, from the limited studies that are out there, they suggest that you can still get the amount of sleep that you need for 24 hours. And so, yes, nap, napping in that case could be very good. But even, even for people who obtain the adequate amount of sleep at night, even taking a short nap during the day can be very beneficial for them in terms of how well they feel and how alert they are. So what advice do you have for people who, who travel a lot, especially, say, um, international, overseas, where um, the time zone changes uh, quite drastically? Yeah, so jet lag, it's something that uh, our clock in our brain, the circadian clock, never really had to deal with in the past until we invented planes that can travel very fast. And so... That is certainly a challenge to us, and one of the important things that we have to do is when we're traveling, we have to try to get 
the amount of sleep that we need still, even though it may not be as easy. Because when you travel, let's say, eight time zones east and you head to Europe, middle of Europe, uh, when you're trying to go to sleep at their bedtime, that's a time when your clock in your brain is still back in the U.S. and it's telling you you should be awake still. And so there are some things that we can do to try to improve our sleep and our wakefulness uh, in the new time zones, and that is trying to adapt to their time schedule uh, soon, as soon after you actually arrive, uh, trying to get out and get bright sunlight uh, in the afternoons, especially when you first get there, and then trying to sleep in a quiet, dark place. Uh, but it, it is going to typically going to take a several days for you to adjust your clock to that new time zone. And part, part of jet lag is not only because our clock is not in sync with that new environment, that new time zone, but also because we're not getting enough sleep. And that sleep disturbance contributes to jet lag. I see. And typically, is it true that like for every hour you need to adjust, it takes uh, one day after arriving to your new time zone? Yes, that is correct. It takes about one day per time zone traveled for your clock system to adjust. Now, there are tricks that we can use uh, to help make that faster. So if we properly time when you're exposed to light, and so that means getting light at certain times and avoiding light at others, so wearing sunglasses at certain times, uh, that can help facilitate the shift and make it even faster. And so one quick example of that is if you're flying from, let's say, California, and you're landing in Paris, you usually land in France, uh, in Paris, France, uh, in the morning when the sun has just risen. And that sunlight right there is actually a bad time for you to get sunlight because your clock in your brain in Cal- from California, uh, getting light at that time is actually going to send you towards Hawaii rather than towards Paris. And so wearing sunglasses, for example, first thing in the morning, for several hours and then getting sunlight in the afternoon is going to help facilitate the adjustment. That's an a interesting fact I've heard for the first time. Um, does that include people who, for example, if they work late on their computer, if they use sunglasses so that their nighttime doesn't seem like it's still daytime for them? Uh, you're, are you asking about when people are traveling or are you asking just in general? Just in general, if they're like, you know, they stare in front of the computer at night a lot. So there is brand new research that uh, is coming out that does uh, show that uh, the light exposure that we get from uh, things like these uh, tablets or other bright, brightly lit electronic devices uh, can influence the timing of our clock and also influence how easy it is for us to sleep. And so certainly uh, if someone's having difficulties going to sleep, uh, one of the things to do is to avoid the use of these types of devices or dim them down very, to very dim levels in order to reduce the influence of these devices on our internal clock and our sleep. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think that's probably a affliction that's affecting a lot of people as these so-called uh, tablets or mobile devices become ubiquitous. So you would suggest that they turn it off at some point before they go to sleep. Yeah, for a couple of hours, the best thing to do is to avoid them a couple hours before you go to sleep, especially if you have difficulties falling asleep, and to go ahead and you know prepare your body for sleep. Go ahead and, and do things that are going to be relaxing to you and allow you then to gently drift off to sleep. I see. So what, what kind of advice do you have for people who do have problems sleeping uh, in, in terms of you know relaxing and tr- 
trying to drift off. Well, there's many treatments out there uh, for different types of sleep problems and sleep disorders. And so the first thing is going to be talking to someone uh, who's knowledgeable about that. So there are sleep physicians that are all around the country uh, that can actually evaluate someone so to make sure that they actually get the right treatment uh, for their particular problem. And then those those, those treatments uh, include everything to from uh, a lot of behavioral things about what you do when you get light exposure, uh, what you do if you can't fall asleep when you're in bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other types of disorders where people stop breathing in their sleep and they require a different type of treatment in order to, to help them uh, stay asleep and not only help them stay asleep, but also help, to help their bed partners stay asleep if they have problems where they stop breathing at night and then all of a sudden start breathing and make it a loud sound. Uh, so those, those are just examples. There are many, many different types of problems. And so really, again, trying to get at what is the concern and then speaking with a sleep physician about what is the appropriate type of treatment. So that warm cup of milk before you sleep isn't actually a good thing? Well, warm cup of milk before you sleep, if it's something that relaxes you and uh, it helps you fall asleep, there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, it, it's not that necessarily going to disrupt your sleep. On the other hand, if you take that warm cup of milk and then it affects, for example, you get a little acid reflux from that, then that's something you want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, So even though there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that the warm cup of milk is actually going to be really, really help you sleep, if it helps you relax, then that's a good thing. So a few years ago, there was a lot of tension on uh, certain supplements like melatonin to help reset your circadian rhythm and uh, fall asleep. Is that hypothesis still valid? So the scientific research shows that melatonin can help people fall asleep at night. And that's probably one of the best things that melatonin can be used for if you're trying to sleep at your normal time. Whereas melatonin can also help you sleep in the new time zone. So when you were talking about jet lag before, taking melatonin uh, an hour or so before you go to bed in that new time zone, as long as you're not out driving or having to be awake, uh, is, is a good thing that can actually help you sleep in that new time zone. Okay, great been a really uh, a fascinating discussion today. Uh, I guess we are running a little bit out of time. Are, are there any last words you'd like to add about um, you or your work? Well, again, I'd like just to tell everyone that uh, you know, sleep is something that uh, a lot of us kind of take for granted. Um, but if we find that we actually get a sufficient amount of sleep, not only is it going to make us healthier, but it's probably going to make us more productive and more alert, and so we can then enjoy the things that we really enjoy doing. Great. Well, Dr. Wright, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Grok Science Program. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we were just talking to Professor Kenneth Wright from the University of Colorado. We discussed the relationship between sleeplessness and weight gain. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for the the role of science, technology, and the way it affects our daily lives. In the meantime, you can see us on the web at www.grox.net. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and you can reach us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music. Mm